Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, just uh, two weeks and two days ago, I fractured my back, so that's why I'm wearing this Playtex leading girdle. <laughs> and uh, several people have asked, how did you do it? And uh, let me give you two scenarios. You choose the one that is most fitting for your own psyche. Scenario number one is a week, two weeks ago, last Friday, I was walking through the neighborhood and I heard an oak tree crash and it fell on a playhouse and it was slowly crushing the playhouse and I heard children crying from within. <laughs> and so I ran over and used all my strength to lift the oak tree off of the playhouse and I saved numerous lives. <laughs> and there was someone walking through with an iPhone and they caught a picture of me doing it. This is it. So if you don't believe that, that's fine. <laughs> the other scenario was I fell out of a tree cutting a limb. I did my Mr. Magoo moment. So you, you, choose, you choose whatever's more comfortable to you. The second thing I would say or as we go on, um, this is a day of first. I've never worn this before. And also I'm going to say something now that I didn't think I would ever, ever utter in my life. And that is tonight... Instead of watching the Seahawks and the 49ers, I'm going to watch Miss America. Um, there's a, it's, I think, the 93rd Miss America, which means that the first Miss America was when the McCants were in high school. And um, I've never seen Miss America, but tonight a young lady from our church is representing our state, so I'll so it's a time of first. Also, please, here, link night tonight at 6.30. Think about being there. It will be a wonderful time to hear about community. We want to have communities that are redemptive communities, transformed by the gospel, centered on the word of God, and having a missional face. So we're going to start a study of 2 Corinthians this morning, a part of the book of 2 Corinthians the background of 2 Corinthians is that Paul went to Corinth and was there for 18 months where he labored and he preached and he taught Sabbath by Sabbath in the synagogue. And in, when I was in the synagogue, this was his message according to Acts 18. Uh, the Christ is Jesus. The Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the long expected one is this Jesus. And so he taught in the synagogue, he taught from house to house, he saw the church birthed, he worked with a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. He was there for 18 months, and then he left, and he wrote a letter we don't have that addressed some questions the church had, and then to answer some more questions, he wrote the book that we have called 1 Corinthians, and after that he goes back to the church and it was called his painful visit because there was a group of people that had come in and they said, the Apostle Paul is really not God's man. He's, he's really not called of God. And so they, they disparaged Paul and they disparaged his gospel. And many of these people who came to faith in Christ under Paul believed the report. And so Paul was there just a while and he left under great discouragement and he wrote what we call his, his, his troublesome or painful letter that we don't have. 
And then he sends a guy named Titus to see how they received the letter. And Titus has just come back according to 2 Corinthians 7. And he says, Paul, the vast majority affirm you as apostle. The vast majority believe the gospel. Many have repented of their ideas and their thoughts. Uh, it, It is good. And so Paul writes the book we have now called 2 Corinthians as a response to a good report. But he's still answering the question of... Am I really an apostle? Am I really called of God? And so 2 Corinthians has various themes in it. One theme is intensely autobiographical. The other theme is, is, is Paul's underscoring the, the very fabric, fabric, fiber and the central part of the Christian message. What it means to be a spokesman, a leader for Christ. And so 2 Corinthians is incredibly important. He takes side roads, inroads, but it's a, a wonderful book. And so we're going to be in, in 2 Corinthians 3 this morning. And in 2 Corinthians 3, he starts off by, by making this statement. He says, are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you. What happened? People were coming into Corinth and they had these letters of recommendation. The letters of recommendation were saying, this is a good guy. He's, 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 he's a valiant person. He's a person of integrity and loyalty. Listen to him. Letters of introduction. So you carry around this letter of introduction and here's my letter of introduction. Please read it and hear that I am a spokesman of God. And Paul says, you know, really, he says with incredible incredulity, do you really think that I need a letter of introduction? He says, you know, I, I labored among you for 18 months. You heard the gospel from me. You've seen my life. You've seen the way I live. And he says, I, I, don't, I don't need a letter of recommendation. In fact, it says, verse 2, you, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Says, instead of a letter of recommendation, I'm just going to says, you, you people, you are a letter of recommendation to be known and read by all. And then he launches out into, into three different headings, his passion, his sufficiency, and his focus. His passion, his sufficiency, and his focus. First of all, his passion. Verse 3. And so, and you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. He says three things here. He says, first first of all, he says, you are a letter from Christ. He says, the gospel is about Christ. The gospel is about about the fact that the eternal Son of God left his heavenly home in the fullness of time, was supernaturally birthed, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and was risen from the dead. He is the fulfillment of all the gospel promises given to God's covenant people throughout the ages. He says in chapter 1, verse 19 and following, he says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen for his glory, the glory of God. And it is God who establishes us 
with you in Christ and has anointed us and has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He says the gospel, we are about Christ. You, you are living letters written by, for, and through Christ. And then he says this, three little words, delivered by us. Delivered by us. And then next he says this. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. What he's saying here is this, this is the age of the Messiah. This is the long-awaited-for age that the prophets spoke of. We are now living in the day of Messiah King and the outpoured Holy Spirit. This is kingdom come. Written not on parchments that can be wiped away, but, but written with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, rules and regulations, but on tablets of the human heart. Now, this promise was given in the Old Testament book, Ezekiel. I will give them one heart, and, I, and a new spirit will be put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, and they, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God." And Paul said, this is the Messianic age. This, this, is, this is kingdom come. And, and then Jeremiah says, in Jeremiah chapter 31, he says this, but verse 33, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. He says, A day is coming when you won't have stone tablets, you'll have the Holy Spirit grafted into you, anointed with you, sealed with the Spirit, and He will teach you the things of God. This is the day of Messiah King. This is the long-awaited-for age. This is what we've been longing for, Paul says. And that's why when he goes to Corinth, he preaches Christ is the, Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah King is Jesus. That's why it says in chapter 1, everything, all the promises are fulfilled in Christ. And he says in this part of, called his passion, he says, delivered by us. He says, you know, we had, the, we had the privilege of being your spiritual father, of being your mentor. It was delivered by us. Jesus is talking about what it means to be a shepherd. In John chapter 10, he talks about the response of uh, when the adversary comes. And he says, you know, when, when a guy is, is merely a hired hand, he says this. John chapter 10, verse 12. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scares them, scatters them. He flees because he is only a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. See, one, one mark of spiritual leadership is that you love the sheep. Paul says, we love you. See, a, a shepherd should be someone who nurtures and protects 
nurtures and protects. If you have any position of any spiritual leadership anywhere, nurture and you protect. You nurture and you protect. And Jeremiah, Jer- Jeremiah 3 says that there's going to be a coming age, and he says, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. And he says, these, these are the men who will lead you with knowledge and understanding, feed you with knowledge and understanding, shepherds after my own heart. This was delivered by us. Nurture and protect. You nurture by feeding people the word of God. By taking a stand on Scripture and saying, behold the glory of Christ. Paul's at a place called Ephesus for three years. And in Acts 20, there's an incredible statement. He says to the elders at Ephesus, he says, for three years, I haven't hesitated to proclaim to you the whole truth of God. He says, I haven't held back. And they were weeping as he talked to him. And then he says in verse 32, now I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you a place among those who are being saved. I, I commend you to God in the word of his grace. If we're going to be shepherds, whether it's an, an elder, whether it's a deacon, whether it's a community group leader, whether it's a disciple group leader, we will nurture and we will feed, but we will nurture by the word. In Colossians 1, Paul says, and, and, and we proclaim him admonishing all men and teaching all men with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Nurture. Nurture. You nurture and you feed. And then you protect, and you protect by love. You protect by relationship. In the same passage, Colossians 1, says, Paul says, to this end I labor, struggling with all of his energy within me. Let us be laborers. Let us struggle and pray over people. One of the most poignant statements is Paul's having a horrible time with the church at Galatia. They're departing from the gospel, and Paul cries out in Galatians 4, My dear children, for whom I am once again in the pains of childbirth. What an incredibly graphic picture. Paul says, you know, you don't just birth a child once, spiritually or physically. You continually birth. You continually weep over and and, and labor over and grieve over and rejoice over and laugh with. I says, I'm once again in the pains of childbirth. Not to discourage you. I don't want to discourage you. But parents of young children, let me tell you something. It's much more difficult to parent teens than young children. It's just harder. And there are times when, when you just are, you're in the pain of childbirth for your teenager. And if you're a teenager and you are a believer, go home today and look at your mom and dad and say, Mom and dad, we can make it through this. It'll be okay. Just hang in there. And let, me, let me tell you something else. It, it is, it's difficult to have adult children sometimes. The most difficult thing is when to know to be quiet. You're you're always in the pain of childbirth. You're you're always, that's life. And he says in chapter 2, verse 4, in this 2 Corinthians, he said, listen, listen to this. He says, I I wrote to you, the the painful letter, I wrote to you out out of much affliction and anguish of heart and many tears. 
says, when I, wrote, when, I wrote this, when I wrote this hard letter saying, get with a program, deal with a person who's living with his father's wife. It's creepy. Yeah, it is. D- deal with this person. I wrote to you with anguish and heartache and, and tears and not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. See, once again, I'm in the pains of childbirth. To love is to hurt. To love is to rejoice, but to love is to hurt. So you, you, you nurture and you protect and you're vulnerable. So just my application to this, before I talk about other applications, is this. You, listen, you need to be involved in, in a, a, a body of believers where you're nurtured by the Word of God and you're protected by relationships of care, by webs of relationships. You've got to do that. You've got to be involved. And that's why this link night is important. That's why community groups are very important. That's why our women's and men's ministries are very important. You need to be nurtured and protected. I do. Nurtured by the Word. Protected by webs of relationships where people love you and pray for you and ask you hard questions. You've got to have that. You've got to have it. You've got to tremble at the word. I was reading this yesterday. I was reading Proverbs and John 11. John 11, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And I, I just I said, God, this, this is your word. Wow. Don't, don't let me mishandle it or misappropriate it or take it out of context. Let me be diligent. Protect me, nurture me by the word. That's why I told you our community groups are redemptive communities based on the gospel, transformed by the word with a missional Great Commission mindset. And I thought, that's a, great, that's a great purpose statement for a family, isn't it? If you have a family under the banner of Christ, your family should be a redemptive, small community, saturated with the gospel, transformed by the word, saying, what can we do for Christ around the world and here where I live? And we, we've got to have that. And then Paul makes this astounding statement in chapter 4. He says this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Our confidence, key word. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. This God who made us competent. He says our sufficiency is from God. The one who has made us competent. This is not a denial of training or gifts or academics. Paul was incredibly bright, but it is a looking unto the empowering Christ who by his spirit makes us competent, makes us sufficient as we run to him. See, in 1 Corinthians, Paul has said that, that, that he said that, says, Greeks demand wisdom and Jews demand miraculous signs. But we simply preach Christ and Him crucified. It's a stumbling block, he says to people. He's, he's, he's always waving the banner and saying, listen, my sufficiency is from God. My competence is from God. My sufficiency, my competence comes through the empowering grace of Christ. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians about sufficiency 
2 Corinthians 1, verse 14. We love verse 14, but we don't like verses 15 and 16. You know, you have these little placards you put on your desk. You love verse 14. Thanks be to God who, in Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That's a great statement. Verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient? There's the word again. Who is sufficient for these things? Question mark. And Paul says, really, you know, he says, really, we, we are we're the aroma of Christ. To some people, we are the stench of death. Have you ever gone to a cabin that you're going to camp in and haven't been used for several months and some animal has crawled into the duct system and died? It is horrible. It's happened to me. It's just, and I'm a man. I don't smell very well. It, it is horrible. It is horrible. It's the stench of death. The stench of death is not a positive term. Somebody says, man, you smell like death. They'll say, well, thank you very much. No, it's just bad. He Paul says to some people, we are the stench of death. To the other people, we smell like Mr. and Mrs. Rosebud. We just smell good. Well, I go to dinner parties occasionally. People I don't know. You stand there and you're making the very uncomfortable small talk. We just kind of, how you doing? Where you from? So forth and so on. And then they get to the question, what do you do? And I go, I'm a pastor. That's a conversation stopper. And they'll go something like this. This happens all the time. Say, oh, oh, really? Well, what, 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 what kind of church are you the pastor of? And they can eat breath and say, a Baptist church. Now, to most people, Baptist means, whoa, you know, that type of thing. And so they go, you know, they, they want to give me the benefit of the doubt and uh, be kind to me when I say Baptist. Just kind of, one guy says that. One, one dinner party I said that, and he said, what do you think about global warming? I, went, I said, I'm not sure the Bible has a, I mean, yeah. But it, usually when you say Baptist, they go, I got to talk to that guy over there. Other people, what, 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 what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. Yeah. Oh, what church? Oh, it's a Baptist church. Oh, a Baptist church. What kind of Baptist church? I said, oh, they're clued in. There are millions of varieties of Baptist. So, well, we're, we're conservative. We, you know, we like the Reformation. Have you ever have you heard of God, uh, the Gospel Coalition? I love the Gospel Coalition. I said, we're involved with that. Oh, they started giving me gift cards to Chuck E. Cheese, you know? <laughs> the, 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 see, the aroma of life. Oh, I like that. I just, when I was saying this, I just thought, you know, we need to just get over it. 
Um, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal, an interview with a young man named Russell Moore. I think it's next. Yeah. Russell Moore in uh, August, this past August, they do a personality profile. He's the new head of the uh, Ethics, Religious, and Liberty Commission for stuff in Washington. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, lobbying group for evangelical causes, and he's a very articulate, he's preached here, very articulate, gracious young man, and, and he, says about, he says about the church, we are no longer the moral majority, we are a prophetic minority, if we ever were a moral majority. I'm, I'm not sure we were. And then later he says, by prophetic minority, he means that Christians must return to the days when they were a moral example and vanguard. Defenders of belief in a larger unbelieving culture. He views this less as a defeat than as an opportunity. So once again, a prophetic minority. Now, a prophetic minority, though, must, must know what we believe and why we believe it. We must speak with brokenness, compassion, and love, and diligence. And, and we must have a Christian world and life view that, 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 that can articulate what we mean. And he talks about three issues they want to talk about. Religious liberty, marriage, and I just forgot the third. Life. Life, religious liberty, and marriage. But we've got to know what we believe and speak it with grace and diligence and kindness. But when you think about it, listen to me, when you think about it, what do they do to prophets? They stone prophets. They put prophets in wells and leave them alone for months. They marginalize prophets. And so we, we need to understand that we're going to be the aroma of Christ or the stench of death. We've got to deal with that. And, we, and when we hit that, we've got to say our sufficiency comes from Christ. I was watching a TV show recently. It's a good show. I mean... It, it was good. It was clean. It was, and there's this lady there, and a very attractive lady, and she says, I think I'm getting engaged. I said, oh, wonderful, you're getting engaged. I said, oh, that's cool. She says, let me introduce to you my fiancé. And this other woman walks in, and they kiss. And I'm going, oh, man. And they're standing there, and they're congratulating her, and then somebody says this. They banned you from the junior and senior prom, but they cannot keep you from being married. I just went, oh. I'm almost 60. I just go, oh. I'm thinking, well, I'm 13. And my worldview is being shaped. And really what, what they're saying is, they might as well had, had an African-American walk up and say, man, they used to ban you to the back of the bus. But now you can sit anywhere you want to. You can go to any bathroom you want to. That's all. Racism is a horrific sin against a holy God. Racism is from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. But God has said sexuality is between a man and a woman in marriage. Period. I mean, there's not... Writing a book on what is proper for sexuality is a very short book. I mean, it really is. It's very short. I mean, I could write it. You could write it right now in the next 30 seconds. Marriage is the only venue for sexual expression under the hand of a just and holy and loving and kind shepherding God as between a man and a woman. Sincerely yours, that's it. It's, it's pretty easy. Stench of death, aroma of life. 
Application. Too quickly. Number one. Where I talked about the importance of the church. Just real quickly, the, the focus of the Apostle Paul in verse 6, he says this. He says, he's made us competent to, to be ministers of a new covenant, not, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What he's saying is that, is that dry, academic-only, cerebral-only teaching doesn't do us that much good. The Holy Spirit's got to take the Word of God and apply it to our lives. John Calvin said about this, but by the term spirit is meant spiritual doctrine, what is not merely uttered by the mouth, but powerfully makes its way to the souls of men with a lively feeling. You take the word of God, there's a lively feeling as I study and think through and pray through the word of God. So see, the, 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 the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so as I thought about this, our, our cry should continually be, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, take the Word of God and make it rich in my life. Holy Spirit, make us the aroma of Christ to our neighbors. Holy Spirit, work in us. Holy Spirit, continue to make me a competent minister, teacher, leader, spokesperson for the gospel. Holy Spirit, come. Come. And, and, then, and, and then he says, this, I've got to give you this. This is from Francis Schaeffer. This is such a thing. It's Francis Schaeffer, who was very important to me, died in 1984. A wonderful thinker, missionary in Switzerland, says, I, I, just, I'll, I'll just read this. I, I wonder what would happen to most of our churches and Christian work if we woke up tomorrow morning and every statement concerning the reality and work of the Holy Spirit and everything concerning prayer were removed from the Bible. I don't mean just ignored, but actually cut out, disappeared. I wonder how much difference it would make. Now I read that and I say, come Holy Spirit, inflame my heart to pray. Come Holy Spirit, teach me. Come Holy Spirit, give me joy and empowerment that comes from you. Come, Holy Spirit. Don't let the Word of God be merely a letter. Let it be lively and deep in my heart. And then he says, secondly, he says, our, our sufficiency is from Christ. Verse 17 of chapter 2 says this, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, very quickly, he says, here's the acid test. If, if you want to know if, if you're being the person God has called you to be, to your family, to your friends, to your small group, listen to this. Number one, we are not peddlers of the Word of God. We, we don't say this to person A and this to person B. We try to be honest and consistent with Scripture. It says that the second thing is this, we speak with sincerity because we've been commissioned by God to speak for him. You've been called of God unto, unto himself through the work of Christ, therefore speak with sincerity, no duplicity. You just graciously and lovingly speak it out. There's no hidden agenda. 
There's no winking and nodding. You just speak it out. And then he says, we do that in Christ. That's who you are. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. Don't, don't, don't ever say, this is a great sin against God. Don't ever say, I am just a fill in the blank. I'm just a mom. I'm just a D group leader. I'm just a physician. I'm just a mechanic. I'm, I'm just a housewife. I'm just a teacher. You're called of God. You're called of God. One of the chief ploys of the devil is to blind your eyes to see the significance of your life. Say so it's no big deal. Let me tell you something. If Christ tarries, your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your neighbors will live off of the fumes of your legacy. Don't ever forget that. They will live off the fumes of your legacy. We don't peddle the Word of God. We speak it with sincerity because we've been commissioned by Christ. One of my favorite movies, it's an older movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's, it's called Mr. Holland's Opus. It's just starring Richard Dreyfus, and he's a teacher that teaches at the same school with the same funding issues every year, and he always wants to write an opus, and he always wants to do something fantastic, but he has a special needs child. He goes through the ups and downs of marriage, and then his career is coming to an end after over 30 years. And unknown to him, they throw a celebration where they play an opus that his wife has discovered. And somebody makes a statement, and he says, the, the, the ramp up to this statement is this, uh, Mr. Holland isn't rich and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure, but he would be wrong. Because I think that he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched, and each of us is a better person because of you. And he says this, or she does. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. We are the music of your life. God give us the grace to look at people around us and say, that's what I want to be to other people. I want to be the aroma of Christ. I don't want to peddle the word of God and say this to group A and this to group B. I want to speak with sincerity from the heart as a man or woman commissioned by Christ to speak for him. God, give us the grace to live that way. I'm, this week, go out and be the aroma of Christ to those around you. And if, and, and if you have to, realize you may be the stench of death. But if God is working in the hearts of people, he'll make it aromatic by his spirit, through his word. Let's pray. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the privilege of being with your people. Thank you for preserving for us this written revelation and for the life of the Apostle Paul that we'll be studying. Uh, thank you that our sufficiency and our competence ultimately does not come from what we have accomplished, but it comes from you in the area of spiritual formation. So God, we look to you. We trust you. And our prayer is come Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.